Well, happy Christmas, church family. I pray that yesterday was a day full of feasting, family, friends, and celebrating the glorious gift of Emmanuel, God with us. So as we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, as we come now to your word, Father, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you make us new? We pray all these things now in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And as you're turning there, one of the things that's been special about this Christmas is getting to see the wonder and the excitement of the season in the eyes of my daughter, as this was her very first Christmas, to see her captivated by the lights, enthralled with the singing and the carols, but also to see her delight and excitement in opening up her very first gifts. Now, to be fair, she was probably more enthusiastic about ripping and trying to eat the paper than the gift itself. But her her sheer focus, determination, and excitement reminded me that somewhere deeper than even our DNA, we all long to receive good gifts. Yet amidst all the torn paper and empty cardboard boxes, the reality is that even the best of gifts will eventually lose their luster. Socks and shoes wear down and wear out. Technology becomes obsolete. Sweaters and jackets fall in and fall out of favor. Books are read and stuffed on a shelf. Sweets are eaten by my lips and quickly appear on my hips. And even the shiniest of new cars will lose that smell and begin to break down. And yet, The good gifts of our God endure forever. And this morning, I want us to look at perhaps God's greatest gift to his people, a new heart in Christ. The heart we read about in Ezekiel 36 during our assurance of pardon. The heart of flesh that's been washed clean of all of our sin. The heart where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence and inscribed within it the Word of God, the heart that's offered to us in the Gospel. So as we gear up and gird up for the year that's ahead, it is good for us to ponder and to reflect upon the state of our hearts. So to do just that, let us examine together Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. And as we do so, I want us to see three things. The value of the heart, the vulnerability of the heart, and finally, I want us to see the heart's true vitality. So hear now God's word. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, 
for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade and they fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Thanks be to God. First point is the heart's value. So let me ask a question. On your way in this morning, did you lock your car door? Like, did you really do it? Now, I've lost some of you because you're trying to fiddle around in your pocket and mash the button. I'm, I'm waiting to hear some beeps from the uh, parking lot over there. But let's not miss the point here. You see, we guard, we protect, we keep careful watch over those things that are valuable, those things that are precious and dear to us. So when verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, or as it could be translated, that above all else, keep your heart. What this passage is expressing is the value, the significance, and the importance of our heart. But what exactly is our heart? Because in our day and age, the heart is the seat of emotions, feelings, sentimentality, and mushy-gushy Hallmark movies. The Old Testament has a word for that, but it's not the heart. It's actually the bowels. Valentine's Day would be a lot more fun if it was the bowels. Those, uh, I'm not sure those little heart candies would be as quite as nice as small intestine candies, right? But the question remains, what exactly is the Bible getting at when it speaks about the heart? Because the Hebrew word for the heart appears over 850 times in the Old Testament. And according to the Old Testament, the heart is so much more than mere emotions, but refers to the inner person, the inner life. And as the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, the hidden person of the heart, which, yes, includes our emotions, but also our actions our affections, our experiences, our memories, our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, our decisions, our determinations, our wills. So why then is the heart so valuable? Well, look down at the second part of verse 23. For from it flow the springs of life, that the heart is the wellspring of your life. Or to put it another way, that the trajectory of our lives is determined by the heart. Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But also in Matthew 12, 35, where he declares that the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The heart then is valuable because from it flows our lives that the actions we take, the decisions we make, and the desires that drive them stem find their headwaters in our hearts. Therefore, we need to care for it, 
to peel back the onion of the heart to examine what exactly is shaping and catechizing and forming our hearts. Which brings us to our next point, the heart's vulnerability. Well, when do you tell someone to stand watch over something, to guard and protect something? Well, if it's valuable, sure. But also if it's vulnerable. And we, as we see in this passage, and really throughout the whole of Scripture, that our hearts are really, really vulnerable. Vulnerable to the hardening of distractions, discouragements, disillusionment, and even life's devastations. The fact is that the war of faith is often fought upon the battleground of the hearts. That's why the Puritans often spoke of the heart as a castle under siege, facing both invaders from without, but also traitors from within. Invaders like the world, the flesh, and the devil, but also treacherous elements from within our own walls. Jeremiah 17.9 speaks of the deceitful nature of our hearts. Because yes, we can certainly deceive others. But the person we are far better at deceiving is ourselves. We are our own best con men. No one can sell you on a, better, on a bad idea better than you can. No one knows better how to trick and deceive you better than you do. No one knows better how to convince you that the truth is a lie and that, the, that a lie is the truth than you. In addition to this, John Flavel in his book on keeping the heart says our hearts are like musical instruments constantly going in and out of tune. And no instrument is harder to keep in tune than our hearts. So what wisdom would Solomon give us about keeping the hot mess that is our hearts? We'll look down to verse 20 and 21. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Solomon is saying, son, daughter, Listen up. In the Hebrew, literally stretch out your earlobes so that you can listen better to his teaching and wisdom. Why? Because there's a lot of noise in this life. All kinds of things clamoring for our attention, our affections, our hearts. And like any good father, the writer wants the best for his child. And his desire is that not only would he find wisdom but keep it, that he would walk with wisdom all the days of his life. But how do you do that amidst all the distractions, all of the devastations, all of the disillusionments and discouragements of life? Well, verse 21, you don't lose sight of it, and you keep it within your heart, or more literally, you keep it in the middle of your heart. In other words, that in order to live the wise life, which is the good life, the full life, the joyful life, the life that's actually worth living, that the heart, the inner person, must be marinating in the richness of God's wisdom. For no one knows more about life than our God does. Because he's the one who created it. 
That's why the fear, the reverence, the awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. Because what God has to say about our lives is far more critical and far more important than anything and everything else that anyone else has to say. Therefore, we need to marinate our hearts in God's Word, in His matchless wisdom. We need to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's Word. Because what marinates in the heart will direct and drive our lives. For that's what a good marinade does. It tenderizes. It moisturizes. And and I don't think this is a word, but flavorizes a tough and tasteless piece of meat. And if you think about it, that's exactly what God's Word does to us, the work of the Spirit. It tenderizes us towards our sin, towards others, and towards our God. It moisturizes us and brings to life dry bones. And it flavorizes our lives as it marinates us with the heavenly flavors and the aromas of the fruits of the Spirit so that we taste and we see that He, our God, is good. See, what flows into the heart matters. So what are we allowing to permeate the borders of our hearts? What are we allowing into the inner sanctum? What's seeping its way into the depths of your heart? What is it that you are seeking to cultivate and grow within your heart? Because whatever it is, it likely sits upon the throne of your heart. It's likely what you think about when you're not really thinking of anything in particular. You see, our hearts are valuable because they hold incredible power, but they are also incredibly vulnerable. So my question is, are we being thoughtful? Are we being intentional with what we are allowing to permeate our hearts? Do our choices with entertainment, social media, news, hobbies, and the like reveal and reflect a careful intentionality and thoughtfulness? for just how vulnerable and valuable our hearts really are? Are we even willing to ask ourselves hard questions? Like, how is this affecting me in my heart? Or a similar question, is this beneficial for my heart? And perhaps it is, or potentially it could be, but then again, maybe it isn't. And in those moments, what do we do? Are we seeking to walk in wisdom with those things? Because one thing we need to keep in mind is that while the Lord wants our hearts, so too does this world. Because the reality is that what has our hearts has us. And as followers of Jesus, we've been called to live in the world but not be of it. Yet the world wants to try and convince us that we can have our cake and eat it too. That we can be in the world, of the world, and still have Jesus. But Jesus himself tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But he also says that narrow, that narrow is the way that leads to life, but wide the path that leads to destruction. Which raises an important question. How can we test what has our hearts? How Can we distinguish what's in the marinade of our hearts? 
Well, simply put, we examine what's flowing out of our hearts. Look down to verses 24 to 27. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. You see, according to this passage, there are three things that reveal the reality of our hearts, our words, our gaze, and our steps. So together, let's look at each of these. Our words, our, word, our passage calls us to put away crooked speech, which is referring to speech that distorts, disfigures, and deforms truth for its own purposes and desires. But also devious talk, which is referring to enticing and manipulative talk that causes us to divert from the truth. Talk that convinces us to jump ship from the way of wisdom to the way of folly. But why is our speech and why are our words so important? Well, in Matthew 12, 35, Jesus teaches that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words then reveal our hearts. So if crooked speech and devious talk are near and dear to us, it reveals a heart of folly, not of wisdom. But if our words are, as Paul commands in Colossians 4, seasoned by the salt of grace, of life, it reveals a heart of wisdom that is committed to truth. Proverbs 18, 21 speaks of how death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what are the fruits of your tongue? How do your words impact you? How do your words impact your spouse, your children, your friends, your parents, your coworkers, your teachers, your students? Do you wield your words to bring life? Or are you wielding them to bring destruction and discouragement? Next is our gaze. So not only are our words not to deviate from wisdom and from truth, so too is our gaze not to divert from wisdom. And what our passage is referring to is those life-orienting desires, our affections, those longings that compel us and drive us. And what our text is saying here is that there's a lot of things to look at in this world, to be enticed by, to be intrigued by, but not all that glitters is gold. So don't get distracted. Don't get diverted. Don't get discouraged, for there is no greater possession in all of the world than the wisdom of God, of walking and talking with Him each and every day of your life. The author of Hebrews states it like this in in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking and gazing to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So brothers and sisters, where are we looking? Where does your heart's gaze rest? What does it long for? Because what has our gaze, 
has our heart. Lastly, our steps. Our passage calls us to ponder our path, to see and to know which path we are on and where exactly it's taking us. As we see in verse 27, that when difficulties, trials, and distractions arise, that we are not to divert our steps, that we should not swerve to the right nor to the left, but to stay the course. As they say, steady on, to by faith, put one foot in front of the other, to stay the path of wisdom despite its difficulty, despite its frustration, despite the pain, because the path of wisdom is the path to life and life everlasting. You see, brothers and sisters, what our passage wants for us to see is that our hearts set the trajectory for our lives. For the tongue is going to speak the words which the heart finds most beneficial. The eyes are going to gaze upon that which the heart finds most beautiful. And the feet are going to follow the path which the heart finds most desirable. So what then are our lips, our eyes, and our feet saying about the state of our hearts? So as we peel back the layers of our hearts, what do they reveal about what's marinating around in there? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is it frustration, bitterness, haste, anger, pride, lust, superiority, apathy, cynicism, worldliness, or envy? And while by God's grace some days are better than others, what my heart often reveals about me is that I'm a hot mess of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And perhaps the same is true of you. So what does the gospel give a messy-hearted sinner like me and like each of you? Which leads us to our final point, the heart's true vitality. Verse 22 says, about wisdom's words and teaching, that they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. You see, what our hearts need, desire, and long for above all else is to discover true life and real healing, to discover true vitality, because life is hard. There is real brokenness, real sadness, real sorrow. And into that reality, our world makes an abundance of promises. Promises that if you just buy this, if you just get that, if you just achieve this or that, we will have arrived. That our lives will be better, fuller, happier. That we'll just we'll, we'll be more fulfilled, more satisfied. That in accomplishment or acquisition, that our pain will somehow just vanish, disappear into the glory of our successes. That in accumulation, that our regrets will no longer haunt us, and that our failures will no longer be remembered. Yet despite how grandiose the promises, this world can never quite deliver. Yet friends, life and true healing is exactly what is offered to us in the gospel. 
True life, eternal life, and real healing and a restoration from the one who has said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he who said that also said that, behold, I am making all things new. For in Jesus, something greater than the wisdom of Solomon has come. For as John tells us, Jesus is the Word, the Logos, was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. That in Christ, the wisdom of God took on flesh and entered into the muck and the mire of this broken world, doing what we cannot, walking in perfect wisdom, righteousness, and harmony with God all the days of his life, so that by living the life we should have lived, and upon the cross dying the death that we should have died, that he atones for, he makes payment for our sins. For it was our sins, it was our folly that put him there. Yet in taking upon himself the guilt and the wrath of our sin, Jesus Christ our Savior has bought for us with his own blood, redemption, righteousness, and full life forevermore with him. Life he secured for us in his resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven. You see, brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we've discovered life's true wisdom. We've discovered the abundant and the full life in him. And he who ushers us into this life is also the one who will bring healing into all the broken spaces and places of our lives. The one who has conquered sin and death is also the one who will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. The one who is making all things new. And that God who brings with him healing and life is the same God who actually has the power to keep our hearts. John Flavel says that when it comes to keeping the hearts, while ours is the duty, his is the power. That yes, we've been called to be faithful, to be diligent and wise with our hearts, but the power to keep our hearts must come from above. To keep our hearts, we will need God's help and his power to do so. We will need the vitality of his spirit at work within us. Unfortunately, his spirit is exactly what God has given us in the gospel to keep our hearts, to write his law and his word and his wisdom upon our hearts and to transform us by his grace and mercy from the inside out, day after day after day. So do you have this new heart? Are you looking to Jesus for life and for healing? And if not, do you realize that a new heart, a new life, a new and greater eternity is the gift that can be yours in the gospel? Friend, might I plead with you to repent, to acknowledge your need for a Savior, but at the same time see God's wondrous provision of that Savior in Jesus Christ. So to conclude, how do we keep this kept heart of ours? What's your favorite moment of Christmas? Is it the Christmas Eve service? Is it singing Silent Night by candlelight? Is it listening to your favorite Christmas music? Singing your favorite Christmas carols or hymns? Is it watching movies like White Christmas? 
It's a Wonderful Life, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a Charlie Brown Christmas, or Elf. Is it driving around Christmas Eve and seeing all the pretty lights, all the luminaries, all the decorations, going to neighborhoods like Macintosh Corners or Gaddy's Lights? For me, my favorite moment of Christmas has always been Christmas morning. I'm a, I'm a morning person. My wife likes to remind me. And I've always loved waking up before everybody else did. As a, a little boy, the deal I struck with my parents was that I could wake up early, but I just couldn't make any noise or turn any lights other than the Christmas tree until after 7 a.m. So every year I would come down the stairs in the darkness, turn on the Christmas tree, and just sit there in the glow of its lights, the sparkle reflecting off the various ornaments. And as I sat under the glow of the Christmas tree, the tower of Christmas gifts wrapped in ribbons and bows would begin to take shape. That hanging over the fireplace, I could begin to see the shadow of an overstuffed stocking full of candy and other treats and delights. For me, there's just always been something about that moment that's captivated me. The stillness of it. The anticipation of it. The hope and the excitement of it. So how do we keep a kept heart? We remember, we reflect, and we believe that into the darkness that light has come, that hope has dawned, and that new life, eternal life, has begun, which means for the believer that every morning is Christmas morning. For the scriptures speak of God's mercies, his gifts, being new every morning, that so great is his faithfulness, that the light of his word, that in the glow of his countenance, that he reveals, that he shows us, that he demonstrates to us, that his good gifts tower over us, gifts that he gives his children to endeavor and to endure by faith every day of our lives. The gift of the gospel, the gift of redemption from sin and of reconciliation with God and adoption into his family, the good gift of his provision that as his children we have a God who loves us and cares for us and who will provide all that we need for life and for godliness so that we can trust him with our whole hearts and with our whole lives the good gift of his means of grace, then the word, prayer, and sacraments that we can encounter the living and the true God who because Christ is our loving Heavenly Father, he now invites us to draw near and to be transformed by the wonders of his grace. And finally, the good gift of our brothers and sisters in Christ because God has called us to do life with him but also with others. So as he has won us, he wins others that we can walk and crawl our way together through this life of faith, that we can encourage and challenge each other, that we can stand in each other's blind spots so that we can build one another up in love, that in Christ 
We should never walk alone, for we have brothers and sisters who can help us to bear our burdens and vice versa as we endeavor our way together by his grace and through this life and journey of faith. You see, brothers and sisters, it is these good gifts and so many more, gifts from our good God that will keep us and guard us and will one day bring us all the way home to glory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you that nothing can separate us from your love, that we are kept safe by the God who has the power to save. So, Father, as we ponder and we reflect upon our hearts, my prayer is that you would graciously and lovingly tune our hearts to sing your praise. Help us and encourage us in this, we pray. All in the name of Jesus. Amen.